0: Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez-Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you, too. Hi. Happy Sunday. Today, I am going to be continuing my discussion of the ABCs of grad school. This is part two. And actually, before I get started, I have a little announcement to make. So I am going to be doing a few things um, each week just to add to the podcast. Um, The first thing is I would like to invite co-hosts. So I am right now in search of anybody who would like to come on my podcast and have a conversation with me about grad school, either your experiences in grad school or your questions about grad school. You can be anyone. You can be undergrad, grad student, professor. If you want to have a conversation about preparing for graduate school, if you want to provide advice or if you want to get advice please reach out to me over email and I'm happy to add you to my schedule so that we can start um, incorporating these additional episodes. This means that yes, I'm going to start to have co-hosts. It's not going to be on a regular basis. These will be bonus episodes, um, but just anytime that folks are interested and available, um, I'll do my best to provide these extra episodes for you. Okay, so that's announcement number one. I also wanted to say that I'm really grateful to the new listeners that I've gained. I recently started an Instagram account. Um, it's at grad school femtoring. Uh, I started it two weeks ago, and I have a little over a hundred followers, which is not bad, um, considering it's you know this is a very small home based project for me, and it's my way of giving back to the community. So um, for the listener reviews, if you're new, please, I want to remind you, and I I know I say this in every episode, but please leave a review, leave a comment, and add your three, four, five star um, on iTunes. What I'm going to be doing is each week, I'm going to select one review, um, one comment to read out loud, and that special person will get a prize, you are going to receive a copy of my CV template uh, and you can just email me. I will gladly send it to you. That template is supposed to help you format your CV and it includes every section that you need in a CV. So that way it's one less thing to worry about as you prepare for grad school applications. And it's also useful for those of you that are in grad school and need to perfect your CV. So that listener reviews are definitely welcome. And then the last thing I'm going to be incorporating every week is at the end of my episode, I'm going to be doing a shout out, and I'm going to shout out a resource. It could be um, it could be a website, it could be a book, it could be another podcast, anything that I think would be a resource to my low-income first-gen URM listeners, I will be sharing that with you. Okay, so now let's get started. Uh, Last time, I ended in letter I, and so I'm going to continue with letter J. For J, we have JD, which is Juris Doctor or Doctor of Law. I mentioned this last week, but just a reminder. For L, the term that I have to talk about is Literature Review. What is a Literature Review? If you're new to research, maybe you haven't written one yet, but you might have heard about it in a class. This is a critical summary of the academic literature related to your research topic. It describes, summarizes, and evaluates this literature as it relates to your research questions. One thing that I've heard some of my students say is, well, I'm in STEM, or I'm in humanities, and we don't have a literature review section in our field. That means that they have, when they're writing their research paper, they're not expected to have a section that's literally titled, literature review and that doesn't mean that they don't do a literature review it just means it's incorporated in a different part of the paper so for those of you that are in the humanities like me or in STEM most likely your literature review is going to be present in the introduction of your paper Um, take a look at papers in your field start to look at academic journals to find out where you will um, most often find the literature why do you need to do this because if you haven't read the literature in your field, how do you know what's available and what gaps you're going to fill? You know, it's it's important to develop that foundation first before you even think of <laughs> working on your research. Okay, next, L is loan. A lot of us know what loans are. Hopefully you don't have any or too many uh, but a loan is a form of financial aid that is available to students and to the parents of students. An education loan must be repaid. In many cases, however, payments don't begin until the student finishes school. There are um, personal loans. There are federal loans. You know, education-based loans. Um, usually, the federal, like student-based loans, tend to be. Um, they have lower interest rates. Um, you can. Um, what's the word for it? you can defer them while you are a student, both in undergrad and in graduate school, but it's still not something that you wanna have to rely on too much. Oh, the other thing I wanna mention is, I know I have a few international listeners, there's a couple of you, Um, I've seen it in my stats, and I understand that, at least to my knowledge, getting a PhD in the US will take you much farther than getting a PhD in another country because, You know, I know that I had, for instance, international students in my PhD program who came, got their PhD here, and then went back to their home countries, and they obtained professor positions, and they uh, were much more competitive in that way. Um, There's a good amount of rigor that's involved in the PhDs that you obtain here that may not necessarily be true at all universities um, uh, abroad, But the other thing why some folks, international students come to the U.S. for graduate school is that not all countries have financial aid. We take that for granted as those of us that are U.S. born. Um, We take for granted that community college will provide you financial aid for your university. It will provide you some sort of financial aid um, in the form of, for those that are need-based students, for those of you that are low-income students, that's not the case everywhere. In fact. I have a student right now who, um, when he moved here from Japan, he didn't know that that in community college that he qualified, or that was even financial aid. He didn't know it existed. He just assumed it, like, in Japan, there's no financial aid, that it was the same here. And so he worked really hard and he paid, was, like, barely making ends meet, didn't have enough money for food, just really struggling financially. Um, and paid out of pocket his first semester, maybe even the first year, I'm not exactly sure. But it wasn't until later on, eventually he found out that he qualified for financial aid and it helped him out tremendously. So keep that in mind. Loan is a form of financial aid. It's not the best option, but it's something. All right, next letter, L word is LSAT. That is the law school admissions test. This is another standardized test required for admission to most law schools. Unfortunately, it's another one of those um, tests that, you know, becomes a big hurdle for low-income students. Because if you don't have the funding to take a prep course and to study, um, it can really affect you. Especially with the LSATs, you, you want to have a really high score because the higher your score, the more financial you, the more financial aid you'll receive in law school. So you gotta take that very seriously. Okay, Um, next is master's degree. So now we're into the M's. A master's degree is a grad degree earned after an undergrad degree or a bachelor's degree. Like I said last week, you don't have to have a master's to get a PhD. That's not always true or a requirement for every PhD program. Next, MCAT, Medical College Admissions Test another standardized test required for admission to most medical schools. I am not a law school or med school expert. I wish I were because then I could help my baby brother out who wants to go to med school. Uh, But uh, what I do know is that if you're interested in pursuing a joint degree program, that's both MD-PhD or JD-PhD, you're going to have to study for both exams. That means you're going to have to t- study and take the LCAT or LSAT, um, study and take the MCAT, and also study and take the GRE. So it's double the work to do these joint programs and hopefully <laughs> double the reward. But again, I haven't, that's not my experience. So, um, it's, it's hard for me to, to say exactly um, what the benefits are of getting a joint degree aside from having more job opportunities. Mm-hmm. All right, MDs, next, doctor of medicine. Next M word is mentoring. Uh, and in this case, I refer to it as femtoring because I self-identify as Chicana feminist and I want to help out other mujeres like me but obviously I'm also, this podcast is open to anybody that listens, however you self-identify. But mentoring and femtoring is the process of advising and preparing a student to meet their academic and or other professional and personal goals. And this is um, really near and dear to me because I haven't, I didn't, oh, I had a lot of good and bad experiences when it comes to mentoring. I had a really incredible undergraduate mentor. Um, and I mean, she was just a really good model for for reaching out and advocating for me. I didn't always feel comfortable talking to her about personal matters and personal issues. And I didn't always have, I didn't always feel comfortable reaching out to other people to have them mentor or mentor me. And I think that part of it had to do with imposter syndrome, feeling like I wasn't good enough. Like, why would someone even invest their time in me? Like, what what can I give them back? Um, And even to this day, I still struggle with finding mentors and femtors where I am at my stage in my career, because I'm not quite I'm not a professor. You know, a lot of junior faculty who are my age and graduated when I graduated and now have their first, you know, tenure track jobs or postdocs, they get assigned a mentor. And, um, and I'm more in the like, academic affairs. I'm not quite student affairs. Uh, so I have an academic appointment, but I don't quite have research, you know, expectations or requirements, which means I don't necessarily have someone assigned to me if I want a mentor if I'm to I have to go out of my way to reach out and as an introvert that's hard for me. But anyway, I'm I'm going on a rant now. The point is that the I provide holistic mentoring to the people that I work with because it's what I wish that I would have had when I was in undergrad. I wish that someone would have asked me how are you mentally, physically, how are you spiritually? And I didn't quite get that. So, yes, mentoring and femtoring is really important. Next, M-word is merit-based financial aid. This is financial aid that's given to students who meet requirements not related to financial needs. Most merit-based aid is awarded on the basis of academic performance or potential and is given in the form of scholarships or grants. My familiarity with merit-based financial aid um, comes from having worked at the UCLA Scholarship Center and helping students uh, apply and get merit-based national and international fellowships and scholarships. And these, you know, you've got to have a 3.8, 3.9, your perfect GPA to qualify in many cases. Um, It's not always easy. And Just like I mentioned about the GRE, I'll say this, about merit-based scholarships. The whole idea of there being a meritocracy is a myth. There are so many race and class-based hurdles that students like us face, low-income, first-gen URM, face, that make it incredibly hard to get that 3.8, 3.9 and qualify for these scholarships. But... If somehow you're making it work, um, go ahead and you qualify. If you're eligible, go ahead and apply. Next M word is methods. This is the how of your research. So when you're conducting research, you've got to learn your methods. This can be a little bit confusing for humanities students because you don't always get to take a methods course in your discipline. I know there wasn't one when I was an undergrad. as an English major, and so I was just reading and writing, and my mentor was trying to teach me how to close read and interpret, but I never quite felt like I was doing it right, and yet in the social sciences, there are actual courses. You may be learning qualitative or quantitative methods. I'll expand more on those two words later, um, and in STEM, you know, you may be learning certain procedures to run certain experiments, but there's always a how that you go about answering your question. It could be ethnographic, it could be historical, it could be statistical, etc. Everybody has a method if they're conducting research. If You don't think you have a method, you have one, you just haven't uh, articulated it quite yet. Okay, now we're going into the ends. Need-based financial aid. This is the kind of financial aid that's given to students who are determined to be in financial need of assistance based on their income and assets and their family's income and assets, as well as other factors. If you don't even know what assets means, you most likely don't have assets. I didn't even realize that. I was like, oh, my goodness. It wasn't until I got to college that I realized people actually come and have trust funds. They have savings accounts. They have um, educational savings that their parents like built for them since they were born. Um, that folks are getting money from, you know, life insurance, and you just—I was just blown away over like folks who have parents who have homes, who have parents who are going to buy their homes. Wow! I, I'm Again, I didn't realize just how low income I was until I got to college, and I definitely was eligible for need-based financial aid. Next N word is non-resident tuition. Um, This is a larger amount of tuition and fees required by non-residents in a state university system. This doesn't necessarily apply to private schools. Non-resident tuition is something to think about when it comes to applying to graduate school. What a lot of folks do when they apply to out-of-state schools is they, after living there their first year, they'll apply to become a resident in that state. So that way they qualify for cheaper um, tuition the next year. And most of the time, it's not a huge deal for PhD programs because odds are you're probably going to get into a fully funded PhD program if you've done the research, if you've done the preparation, if, you know... If you're one of my students, that's my goal for you is to get you into a fully funded PhD program where they're covering your tuition and fees, but still it's something to keep in mind. Next N-word is normative time. This is an established period of time in which a grad student must reach certain milestones in a given department or program. Maybe like normative time will be that a student has to reach ABD status, all but dissertation status by the end of their fourth year. So normative time is useful to think about because if you're like talking to grad students or faculty, you're getting invited to a campus visit, there is an expected amount of time for you to complete things. And you want to ask, oh, what's the normative time to graduate? And then you also ask like, and what is the actual average amount of time it takes for a grad student here to graduate. So maybe they'll say normative time is five years, but the actual amount of time is more about along the lines of eight or nine years. The longer it takes to get a PhD, um, how do I put it in a nice way? You want to be um, searching for programs who has students that are finishing up in the normative time. That means that they're being supported enough that they can finish their PhDs on time. They're not necessarily always being supported, both um, financially or just in terms of the culture there. That means that sometimes graduate students end up having to TA more or work on the side to make ends meet, which reduces the amount of time they have to do their research, which lengthens the amount of time it takes for them to graduate so normative time is useful to know and also how long someone actually takes to get a phd in that program is also useful to know all right from n we are skipping o and going straight to p phd doctor of philosophy okay i just had to put that in there i know you all know what that is now P, post-secondary, this means anything that happens after high school and refers to all programs for high school graduates, including programs at two and four-year colleges, vocational and technical schools. So essentially, everybody that I work with are post-secondary students. Um, I don't necessarily work with high school students um, because, why not? Because I've been in the college setting so long um that's probably why okay next P word prerequisite if you're an undergrad you know this it's specific courses you must successfully complete um, and pass so that you can enroll in another course students must satisfy prerequisites and any other stated conditions before enrolling in a course so just like you have prereqs in undergrad you may also have prereqs in grad school next professional degree. Highly specialized degrees such as law and medical degrees. Again, when I refer to grad school, I'm not referring to professional schools. That's the distinction I want to make clear. Okay, P, professor. This is a term that across the board refers to all types of faculty. If your professor has a doctoral degree, you may also refer to them as a doctor. So you can call anybody who's teaching a class a professor, even if they're still a graduate student and don't have a PhD. If they have a PhD, you can call them doctor. So for instance, I well, I teach McNair seminars, but aside from that, I don't necessarily teach college courses. And so my my students call me Dr. Yvette. That's my preference. Um, you can call me Yvette. You can call me Dr. Yvette. You can call me Dr. Martinez Vu. You can talk, call me Dr. M. V., Um, But most of the time, my students call me Yvette or Dr. Yvette. Okay, P, Proposal. This refers to a document outlining a proposed research project. This includes a statement of the problem um, that you're trying to address, your literature review, um, discussion of methods that you're going to use, the potential limitations of the project, You may need to write a proposal for a thesis, for master's thesis, undergrad thesis, for a dissertation, or for a funding opportunity. I wrote a proposal when I applied to grants and fellowships in grad school. There was a proposal required for the Ford Fellowship. I had to write a prospectus, which is a proposal for my dissertation. And so proposals, you're going to be writing them from here on out if you're starting to do research and interested in grad school. All right. Prospective student. Mm, Separate from the incoming student that I mentioned last time. Incoming students are students who have been admitted and going to start going to that school or program. Prospective students is someone who is considering applying or waiting on potential admission to a university or college. Most of my listeners, you're all trying to learn about grad school and how to apply. You're all prospective students at whatever universities you have listed in your grad school list. P.S.I.D. P-s-i-d. That's doctor of philosophy. I mentioned it earlier. I want to make sure I get all my doctorates in. All right. Now Q, qualitative. I mentioned methods earlier, and you could have qualitative or quantitative methods, I used to actually get these confused in undergrad and I used to be so ashamed of it because I didn't use these. These weren't like part of my daily uh, jargon or daily what's like, it wasn't like part of my, my language. So quant- well, qualitative refers to conducting research and analyzing language, behavior, you're uh, analyzing data from interviews, surveys or participant observation. Quantitative data Um, are ways of conducting research that analyze numerical data using statistical methods. R, research assistant. This is a paid position for graduate students that requires aiding a faculty member on their research project. Research assistants often also get a stipend and um, get their tuition and fees paid. So if you get a financial package for a PhD program, odds are you're probably going to get TA ships and RA ships, research assistantships, and also maybe a couple of years of where you're on fellowship and you don't have to TA or RA, you can just work on your research. Okay, now let's talk about research universities. So sometimes I I tell my students, oh, you know, what, what PhD granting programs want you to say when you apply to grad school is that your long-term goal is to become a tenure-track professor at an at an R1 institute, where you can continue to produce, research, and teach, and mentor, etc. And the whole R1 thing, you know, I didn't quite understand that in undergrad either. So, what does R1 refer to? This is uh, a research one university. This is where this is a doctorate-granting institution with a very high research activity. UCLA is an R1. UCSB is an R1, and many other universities are R1s. Now, what about the others? There's also research universities that are referred to as R2 universities, Research 2. And these are doctor granted institutions with high research activity, but not very high compared to the R1s. And that's why we tell students, you want to be at, you know, the top of the top, the top program in your field getting a job there. I mean, that's what, at least what, what your um, PhD programs are training you for. Maybe in reality, you don't want to be at an R1. You want to be at a community college and that's completely okay too. In fact, I think that eventually at some point I'm going to end up working at a community college. I just feel it. I see myself. I feel like I could do really good work with those students. in fact, my favorite students happen to be transfer students. So who knows? You don't have to be at an R1 if you don't want to. But they want to hear you say that, sadly, even though, you know, you can use your PhD in a number of different ways and, you know, produce really good work nonetheless. Okay, now we're going to go to S, Statement of Purpose. This is the main component of your graduate application. It's so important. You don't realize how important it is. Um, it should describe your research experience, research interests, um, what you want to do study in graduate school, you want to address your fit within the department, your strengths, and you can add a little bit of your personal experiences relevant to your academic goals. You don't want to add too much of the personal stuff because a lot of them, a lot of the um, applications will also ask you to write a personal statement. If they don't, if they just ask for a statement of purpose, then yes, add a little more of the personal stuff in your statement, in your statement of purpose because you don't have a personal statement to worry about. All right, let's go on to T, teaching assistant. So I mentioned RA-ship earlier, now it's TA-ship. This is a paid position for grad students that requires aiding an instructor in teaching an undergraduate class. TA-ships provide a stipend and often the payment of tuition and fees. TAs lead discussion sections, grade student work, and provide administrative support to instructors. Next T word, this is a really important one, tenure. This is what's awarded after a junior member of the faculty of a college university has demonstrated a strong record of research, teaching, and service. It results in a promotion to associate and also full professor. Most of the time, associate, because you've got to be an associate first before you become full professor. All right, another T word, just FYI, this is is Terminal Masters, and you're gonna think, wait, what, how is that different from a regular Masters? This is a Master's degree offered in a department that does not lead to a doctoral degree. So my department didn't provide Master's degrees, but it did provide a Terminal Masters. If you didn't pass your qualifying exams and you, or at any point, decided that you don't wanna continue in the program, you uh, were given a certain assignment to complete so that you could walk away with the terminal master's. But you could only get a terminal master's. I mean, you couldn't just get a master's and keep getting your PhDs. Only those that left got a master's. All right. Thesis is a piece of original research usually required for an undergraduate degree with honors or a master's degree. If you can work on a senior thesis while you're an undergraduate, I highly recommend it. Um, Usually it's under a departmental honors program and you should definitely reach out to your undergrad advisor to ask about that because typically the application is out during your junior year of college and you don't want to miss out on that opportunity. You'll get a lot of mentorship and support from the department. You'll be required to take certain seminars where they'll prepare you for it. All right, next T word is time to degree and this is an established period of time in which a graduate student must complete their master's or doctoral program. Next T word is TOEFL. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, TOEFL, TOEFL. Um, it's a test of English as a foreign language. This is a test required by many universities to measure non-native English speakers' command of the English language. One of my students right now is, um, is preparing All right, we're getting closer to wrapping up. I actually don't even know what happened. Somehow after I finished um, the T words, I lost my recording, it just stopped recording. So I'm just gonna keep on going from there. Um, The next word is university. This is an educational institution of higher learning offering degrees and research facilities. And um, the last word is work-study programs. And these are programs offered by many colleges. They allow students to work part time during the school year as part of their financial aid package. The jobs are usually on campus and the money earned is used to pay for tuition and other college charges. So one thing to note about work study that actually I didn't even know uh, when I was a grad student is that work study is available to graduate students, too. It's not just an undergrad thing. Um, If you're a grad student and you apply for FAFSA and you qualify, you show that you have financial need, you may qualify for work-study opportunities. Actually, at the Scholarship Center where I used to work, we would provide work-study opportunities for grad students too. So it's just another useful thing to learn. All right, that is my last word. And before I go, I am going to, actually, you know what, I'm going to do my first listener review. And I'm going to do that. And I'm also going to give a shout out. So for my listener review, let's see if I can pull it up under podcasts. And again, if you are a listener review. A reviewer and I read, hold on, and I read your um, review, you're going to get a free CV template. Just go ahead and email me, say, Hi, Dr. Yvette, you read my uh, listener review comment, and I'd like to have a copy of the CV template. I will gladly email it to you. So hopefully that'll motivate some of you to leave me a review. Okay, here it is. So, the first reviewer uh, that I'm going to be pointing out is Chelsea.One. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, the title is Thank You So Much. I am writing my personal statement now and I was struggling. The podcast on the personal statement has given me so much clarity. Thanks so much for your review, Chelsea. I appreciate knowing if any of my episodes are helpful. And definitely reach out to me so that I can send you my CV template. All right, now for the shout-out. I'm going to shout out a podcast today, and it's a brand-new podcast. It's called Bookworm Por Vida, and it's by my friend Cecilia Caballero. So Bookworm Por Vida is a woman of color feminist podcast and project that celebrates books and writing by BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, People of Color, for liberation. This is my homegirl, Cecilia, um, who is also part of the Chicana Mother War Collective. She is an incredible writer, creative writer. I am probably her biggest fan. <laughs> if I'm not, I'm one of her biggest fans. I absolutely love her writing. If you want to check out what she writes or how she writes, um there is a blog that she posted on the Chicana Motherwork website, chicanamotherwork.com, called Mothering While Brown in White Spaces, or When I Took My Son to Octavia Butler's Exhibit. That blog, that piece went viral, and that's only one of like multiple pieces that she has published and will be working on publishing soon. So definitely check her out, because I definitely um, look up to her when it comes to any kind of recommendations for parenting books, novels by people of color, um, just anything related to reading and writing, she is a great resource. So definitely check out Bookworm Por Vida. She doesn't have an episode out yet, at least not that I know of, but you can follow this podcast by going to Instagram. The handle is bookworm underscore porvida, P-O-R-V-I-D-A. And she'll let you know when the first episode is up on there. All right. So I think that's all I have for today. I did my listener review and my shout out. And I want to remind you, if you want to be a co-host, you can be anybody. I'm still co-host with me. Send me an email. I'm happy to coordinate and find a time for us to record an episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I will talk to you all next time. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else where you tune in. You can also contact me with your questions and episode topics by sending me a voice message on Anchor, sending me a message via my website at yvettemartinezvu.com, or emailing me at yvettemtz3 at gmail.com. Until next time.